welcome to the 31st Spool.ie podcast. This month we're going to be looking back on Jurassic World, Slow West, Let Us Pray, She's Funny That Way, and The Look of Silence. And then we'll go ahead and look to July and see some of the great films coming our way, um, and then see what's uh, in store for us at the 27th Galway Film Flat. But before all that, we're going to talk Terminator again! You've been reacquired! Oh, to hear this clip we were recording this for the second time we got a few minutes into this and then decided the quality was crap so for your um comfort and pleasure we've recorded again for your listening pleasure yeah oh yeah so anyway that was um a clip without dialogue which um is probably thankful because terminator is a film with terrible dialogue and terrible acting so the action is about the only thing that is in any way possible right yeah, pretty much. Uh, we saw this a couple of days ago and uh, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. So um, 1984 was the first Terminator 1. Um, I often wonder did James Cameron do it as a tribute to uh, George Orwell, but hardly. Uh, so it's 31 years. This is the fifth film. Uh, we had Terminator 1, Terminator 2, Terminator 3. As I was like, Rise back. of yeah. the Machines. You're yeah. forgetting the subtitles. Oh, the subtitles. Very Two was Judgment Day. Judgment Day, yeah. Three, Rise of the Machines. Four was the reboot, kind of separate film. Salvation. Mm. And now we have five, Terminator Genesis with Genesis Beltron. And Arnie is back in the hot seat once again. Twice. Uh, so this film starts in about 2029 when we have John Connor, who's played by Jason Clark. You would have seen him in Planet of the Apes. Um, Zero Dark Thirty. Et cetera, et cetera. And he's probably the best actor in it, you know, but doesn't have much to do. So he sends back Kyle Reese, who's played by Jai Courtney, and he's obviously going back to see if Sarah Connor stopped the assassination. We have the old Terminator, who's also set back, and we see him for the first time, Arnold Schwarzenegger. CGI Arnie, with brown hair. Yeah, doesn't look too bad, because was, there was a dodgy CGI Arnie in previously, maybe in the third one. We saw his head, I think, on yeah. a machine that was ready to be... So that was pretty crap. Um, but when he was back to 1984, uh, Kyle Reese... We have the old Terminator there that we know from Terminator 1, but good uh, Terminator, played by Arnie as well, is also there. And we also have the T-1000, the liquid Terminator, is also a, there. A version of it, yeah. yeah. And An Asian version. Sarah Connor, it's very, yeah. There's no black people in the film. Discuss. There is at one point, uh, I think in 2017. <laughs> you being put on the spot. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> no, because I did do that where they're like, oh, they have an Asian person. We're trying to get into that. That'll be good. That'll yeah. play well in, you know, when we release the film in China. Yeah. Um, being very racist, your man could have been from LA or something, you know. No, but you're right. There is a little bit of profiling. The Fast and Furious films yeah. are notorious at doing it, saying we need more of a Central American yeah. slant to the demographics. So Sarah Connor also knows everything that's going on. She affectionately refers to Aaron Schwarzenegger's pops 
and something has changed then obviously in the different iterations of the past and the future and they try and explain this at some point by have these lovely lines of dialogue which basically say we know this doesn't make sense and we don't care because it doesn't matter so just shut up and enjoy the film time travel and alternate timelines is the classic you know when you script get out of jail just work yeah in the way that they did in looper and we had a very simple point in time that then just had all these offshoots and it made perfect sense like the main thing for me in the film was like when certain things started happening I was like because that has happened should you not just disappear now yeah (laughs) and how are you talking to yourself as a child you have prevented this future or past from happening yeah but see it's alternate so it still exists and you're just dipping into it so there's multiple narrative probably I think you can sell it whatever way you Mm. like and I mean I think that pissed a lot of people off with the way the Star Trek franchises and the X-Men Franchises kind of just whip out that old reset button and sort of go, timeline, reboot. Yeah, like, what, what pissed me off about this, it's not so much that it's a remake, because I don't mind remakes to a certain degree. We had The Evil Dead a couple of years ago, which went even bloodier. It stayed 18s. Some people hated it. We thought it was good enough. It's good fun, and it went... I loved The Evil Dead, but yeah, yeah. I mean, separately, it felt like a tr- both a tribute and a new addition to it so it's not taking away no so with Terminator Genesis it's just they've literally ripped scenes from one and two cobbled them together haven't sensibly touched three and it's just like oh here's the film kids because the third is 12 day and because it's that age group if parents are sensible and the kid doesn't have an older brother or sister they shouldn't have seen any of the other Terminator films um, so they're not going to be offended by these scenes or you know it's not going to annoy them because they're like oh this is just a new film who cares whereas like old grumpy third year old me and my older brothers who are in their 50s now uh, they're going to be like oh what happened to you know you're just you know first Terminator was 15 yeah um, and I think the second one might have been a 15 as well because they're not 18 in England, they were 15. Oh, so they were maybe X-rated in Ireland. Well, this was actually, I just have <laughs> the BBFC re-rating. They were both done 15 years ago again. So possibly back in the early 80s, they, yeah. or, sorry, 1984, they had a, an 18 thing. So, and because of that cert, there's no violence and there's no blood and guts or anything. It's just this transformer. It's a fantasy type violence. Cars yeah. smashing against each other kind of thing when the Terminator's going at it. And there's, I don't know if it'll flop or not. It'll depend on word of mouth. I think they've thrown the net so wide that it'll get enough money in. So if it makes enough money, there'll definitely be a sequel. But yeah, Amelia Clark, I really enjoy outside of this movie but she really is a terrible actress she plays Sarah Connor and uh, we know her from Game of Thrones where she plays Mother of Dragons Daenerys Targaryen and she's lovely in that she's just wonderful you know she's a big fan you know but here she's done she's gone back to her natural hair colour she hasn't got the bleached blonde hair no dragons um, there's no dragons here you know she's only got Terminators and, and Pops you know uh so it's a it's 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 just a bit grim to see her. So I looked at who the writers of the of it were. So it's always interesting with these films like that. A lot actually comes back to who the credited writers are. Like that's the people who kind of have more of a vision very often than the director because the director is just the kind of person. So the two writers are Leeta Calagridis and uh, Patrick Lucier. So these guys and this guy and girl uh, don't have great. Uh, I think Leeta is a girl. Who knows? Doesn't Presumably, yeah. Um, anyway, they've worked on like crap TV, kind of like Bio- the Bionic Woman, and then Pathfinder, Dracula 2000. That's the kind of caliber, except for Leeta Calagridis, who wrote Shutter Island. 
based off the Dennis Lehan novel. You look so shocked for me to tell you this. It's like I've never told you this before. It's so shocking. My mind is blowing. Yeah. So anyway, um, a thumb down. I liked it a little bit more. I did think the action was good in it and I laughed at Arnold's lines so I'm giving it a two but you're I'm a firmly in the one camp. Yeah. So your full review is up there on spool.ie. Check it out. If you want to have a read of that. So speaking of films I'd have to kind of pay homage to a much a much-loved classic. Uh, on the 11th of June, a couple of weeks ago, we saw Jurassic World hit cinemas. So this is Colin Trevorrow's attempt at reimagining the Jurassic Park franchise and reigniting it and getting it going again. So um, it's been in cinema for a couple of weeks now, but... Uh, They've kind of really forgotten well. about 2 and 3 in the making of this. They've done a great job. It just This is like a spiritual sequel to the first one, which is kind of the way Terminator... Um, Genesis is like a tribute to Terminator 1 and 2 and just pretends the others don't happen which you know I don't know it's a bit bad like when the studio allows that to happen just pretend anyway so 20 years have gone by since the disaster we saw in the first uh, Jurassic in, in Jurassic Park and as always money talks very clever kind of thing because money talks that's why this bloody movie was made so um, the park has been rebuilt on another part of the island and there's been millions spent on all these failed saves and security and all these clever kind of things to prevent anything insane like that happening again. But oh no, the new enormous gen and unpredictable Indominus Rex escapes. So um goes on the rampage around the island. Uh, in order to catch it, we've got Chris Pratt, who is an Indiana Jones type uh, Velociraptor Wrangler. So his Slash job, James Dean, kind of weird, and yeah, mixed with James Dean. So it's kind of weird. He's been brought in by the park to potentially work with military interests to see if they can get Velociraptors on Isn't a caravan on yeah, the side of the island. He's an interesting guy, though. Like, I mean, he can clearly he's an attractive man, can have any woman he wants, and yet he chooses to live on this crappy island off the coast of Costa Rica or wherever it is just to be away from everyone ah, he very stereotypical well. though but he doesn't but the point being like you know he tries to go on one or two dates apparently with her but like he's not you can tell he's a loner he's a guy with his own issues so um, likewise then Bryce Dallas Howard who plays park operations manager is his love interest and the two you know they're both uh, her problem then is her nephews are visiting and they go on the loose and um, they have to save them and work together Blah 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 blah. But I liked her as well. Bryce Dallas Howard um, had some kids and hasn't done much um, in the last couple of years, so it's good to see her back on screen. Um, yeah, what Made did I say? An insane amount of money, like one point twenty billion. One point two billion, eighth highest grossing film of all time, and it's probably I was doing the maths. Probably going to hop over uh, one, the Harry Potter movie and Frozen, and it's going to hop in there. What's just, number one? Is it Avatar? Uh, yes, Avatar has two point eight billion, I think. So the benchmark is very, very high. But Star Wars is probably going to beat them all because it'll be snazzy, snazzy, and make three biggest film in the world ever. So, but that will leave us then with four films from the year twenty fifteen in the top ten highest grossing of all time. It's because they've managed to get everyone paying for IMAX for these huge ones. There, the three D thing isn't the. You know, the 3D is the icing on the cake now. It's really about the IMAX multi-sense, this kind of bullshit, rather than it be, you know, 3D is an addition to, like, I'm going to make your seat vibrate, and, you know, we're going to fill the auditorium with gas, just so as you laugh and feel When are they going to bring back Smell-O-Vision? Smell-O-Vision, I hope, is on the way. So, anyway, um, and just a quick mention, the Nerdist podcast that I listened to, uh, Chris Hardwick sat down with director Colin Trevorrow and Chris Pratt, and it's probably they you get so much crap around these uh, films like they have to go on these press tours that go on forever and they spend nine minutes sitting in this chair with the poster behind them and anyone and everyone gets those junket interviews but here the two guys are very relaxed and um, I recommend it to anyone mm. uh, you might know 
you know the way after Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead they do those after shows so Chris Hardwick presents those so uh, All right, that's cool. the kind of guy so that's it um, do you want to talk about something then a little bit smaller tiny in comparison probably cost one hundredth of the budget that was for Jurassic Park World probably one millionth of the budget yeah it's kind of weird saying Jurassic you automatically go to say Jurassic Park and it's Jurassic like World. no World anyway let us pray P-R-E-Y not P-R-A-Y mm-hmm. uh, it's directed by Brian O'Malley it's his first feature and stars Liam Cunningham this is kind of a clip slash mini trailer but it kind of sets the film up nicely roll it there Colette the blood and the vengeance the sweat the smell I can smell it so you don't believe in blood didn't say that He's also in Game of Thrones, trying to link the whole podcast oh, brilliant. together. See, yeah. this is not just cobbled together. We yeah, spend weeks planning this out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it concerns a bunch of police officers in a small kind of rural um, Wickerman-esque village in Scotland. Or is it Wales? I'm, no, I'm going to say Scotland. Stick um, with it. Yeah, go with it. Whatever. Uh, so Pollyanna McIntosh plays PC Rachel and she's been transferred out of another area comes to this so she's the outsider all the other people you know are very closeted and small town mentality being like what are you doing coming in here you don't know the ropes couldn't give a shit about you so on her walk to work she sees Liam Cunningham who is described in the credits as six and he's knocked down by a joyrider and he disappears then so the cop just arrests the joyrider takes him into the police station because like look I definitely saw you hit someone we have to find him then the two other police officers later on bring Liam Cunningham in and that's where everything kind of starts to go awry because you realise when Liam Cunningham makes contact with you or sees you he sees your dark past ooh supernatural and everybody in this police station has a dark past um, bar Pollyanna McIntosh and you realise that they kind of have a past themselves and she's trying to forget about it Um. Very gory. 18s, 100% deserves the certificate. When I went to see it, five people walked out. That's what you told me. I love asking you, how's the film? Yeah, I love the walkouts. I sat through it though. Yeah. And most of the walkouts were when um, Sergeant McReady, who's played by Douglas Russell, who I don't really, he's got an amazing face. It's a terrible thing to say about someone, but they're a great character actor. He's never going to be a leading man. And I, I wasn't really aware of him in anything else, but he plays a great role in it. And most people walked out when he was bludgeoning to death a uh, rent boy he had hired and yeah that kind of seemed to tip people over the edge mm. um, very probably one that we'll video on demand kind of thing I think it might be yeah, the Netflix stage. Volta maybe hopefully um, I'd say it's gone maybe hit up the screen if you want to see it Liam Cunningham could be in it more but that's kind of the whole point he's the quiet type and the end then is a bit trying to be a bit more clever than it needs to be so you're a bit like oh I don't know if I'm buying this but it's good fun it knows its genre gory no harm to see a decent genre film yeah and coming out of the UK and Ireland it's kind of rare these yeah days, you know that that's, kind of that's good it's been a good year though the canal a couple like a month or so ago I thought it was fantastic as well so yeah very good worth checking out for fans very good speaking of gruesomeness 
terrible link but anyway uh, The Look of Silence came out uh, two weeks ago three weeks ago maybe this is the follow up to The Act of Killing the acclaimed documentary from a year and a half ago it feels very recent I was amazed when there was effectively like this sequel to The Act of Killing but do you think you filmed them at the same time I'd say there might have been and The Act of Killing I think was they finished putting it together maybe in mid 2012 and just didn't get anywhere for about two it took a while to get the release and then this followed up much quicker you know he got it out so because he can't go home seemingly He's in fear of his life and... Um, or he can't go... Yeah, he has an no. issue. Well, he is an American. He can't go back. He spent loads of time in Indonesia and he's afraid to go back there now. So I, I don't know how that worked because everyone trusted him in it. But anyway, in this, um, it's much less of a um, WTF type thing uh, than the act of killing because they were spending more time with the victims of the atrocities in Indonesia rather than the perpetrators. Um, the act of killing was famous because it basically got these... Um, psychopath psychopath war war machines to reenact how they slaughtered tons and tons of people and like they made it turn into like movies it was very surreal very weird but this is it It became almost ironic and too surreal to really connect with whereas this is horrific it's much more real there's no kind of tricks or anything so at the centre of it is the eye doctor or optometrist uh, Addy um, so his brother Remley was killed by um, these men in their village uh, in the late sixties, and now Addy is going around um, in you know in without the elders kind of he's going to give them eye tests and stuff, and without their sort of knowledge, he's sort of trying to get to grips with who they are as people. And um, there's lots of archive footage that he's able to watch from the 60s and he looks at that privately and then goes and talks to the people and it's horrific it's kind of like this sh- almost shock journalism type thing but they never pounce on the people he he, you know he continues to ask questions and they get very very uneasy like why are you asking me this so it's really really gruesome um, but very very good um, at doing that and just sort of getting into people's heads and understanding and there's next to no remorse or anything from these people like it's mm. it's not like you know when you mentioned the Nazis very much anyone German from like 30s whatever they felt it very quickly became a case of everyone became ashamed of the fact these things happened and if it didn't then there were they're held to account Nuremberg trials and all this kind of thing unless there's some secret neo-Nazis out there that think all that was okay but here people are proud to say no that's how it was and we'll get back to it and people fanatically show off here's like a here's a, a scrapbook that I made up I do drawings of all the murders we did like hey can I show you this is one of my favourites so great characters and saying um, the guy Addy's parents are in it they're both claiming to be over 100 and um, the old guy is the oldest person I've ever seen on cinema he kind of rolls around like a giant man baby in this bed and she squirts talcum powder on him and it's horrific but also um, kind of funny and cute in a weird way and then the mother I don't I think she's spoofing a bit I'm not sure she's 100 because she goes around walking and talking all the time so who knows might be something in the Indonesian air but uh, yeah it's really good here's a, like a quick kind of thing just to wrap it up at 30 seconds of the director Joshua Oppenheimer talking about making the movie in Indonesia and the fact that half his crew had to be anonymous because the whole bloody thing is so dangerous and all this crap is still going on they could just be lynched so uh, yeah here's that uh crew who helped make the look of silence remain anonymous to protect their safety. There is a grave political risk for anybody involved with the crew in Indonesia if their identity becomes known to the authorities, especially to the military and to the paramilitary group that plays such a prominent role in my previous film, The Act of Killing. The film also, the filmmaking process also, as you see in the film, exposes Adi Rukun, who is a man of extraordinary dignity and courage sitting by my side. It exposed him to real risk. 
And to mitigate that risk, Adi's family has had to move to another part of Indonesia thousands of kilometers away. So you could probably catch that on Volta. Um, yeah, I think it's out of the cinema, but it's the kind of thing that's going to end up showing on a lot end of, of year list. end of year lists and the sort of thing they'll, I don't know, feel like you'd see it on more four or something. Dire- uh, executive producers are Werner Herzog and Errol Morris, the two Brilliant. two kings of documentary. So when it gets endorsement from those kind of guys, you know, it's kind of worth your time. Um, so Werner two- Herzog, sorry, was also a ridiculous guest cameo in uh, Parks and Rec. Which he starred Chris Pratt, who Chris was in Pratt. Jurassic World. Yeah, and whose wife in Parks and Rec was Aubrey Plaza, who was in uh, Jurassic World director Colin Trevorrow's first film, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. It's all cyclical people. I enjoyed that in it. That, like, he, Colin Trevorrow worked with the two of them and they were married on the TV yeah. show. Anyway. Okay, so we're going to go with a shit film and then we'll finish with a positive before we segue into no our... films are shit. You learn something from everything. So says Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe I not. learned not to go see this film again and you should learn not to go see it it's called She's Funny That Way so a couple of years ago I think it was two maybe the iFi had a really good interview with Peter Bogdanovich he's a writer director he directed uh, The Last Picture Show Paper Moon What's Up Doc other films kind of bigger than his canon would suggest you know he's kind of one of these guys who everybody loves but when you look at his his list he's more of a scenester maybe where yeah. his reputation precedes him rather than and a lot of people output. would actually know him to see from the shrink of the shrink in Sopranos or showing up in so many documentaries as well yeah like uh, Easy Riders Raging Bull the central part of that mm. and that other documentary is the it, kid stays in the picture yeah he's in that right probably I think so that's a Hollywood um, face yeah so Orson Welles he's a big connection with him because Orson Welles fell on hard times and stayed at his house and allegedly helped him with a lot of the script for the last picture show um, and now Peter Bogdanovich at some point had kind of fallen on hard times and was looking to Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach for some help and they're actually executive producers on this so they're all mates and there's also a ridiculous cameo in this film whereby so the whole premise of the film is that it stars Imogen Poots who plays Isabella Isabella Patterson she's a prostitute and she has become a famous actress and she's given an interview to like a stiff-nosed New Yorker New York Times kind of person who kind of hates the fact that she'd become famous just you know because she was a prostitute and got a bit of money and really kind of hates her so the rest of the story is told in uh, like a flashback so we've realised that Owen Wilson is a theatre director and when he's in town prepping for one of his plays he hires an escort is it in New York? I think so because it's, it's a Broadway thing oh yeah mm. sounds New York-y it might not probably filmed in Canada tribute. Toronto <laughs> Toronto but the fact it's all such a big sort of Woody Allen feel as well probably it has it's so yeah like, but it's ten times worse than the worst Woody Allen film it's just so try hard it's a screwball comedy which is very hard, to hard thing to pull off and especially when the film isn't funny which this isn't um, it, it has a great it a screwball picture <laughs> yeah that's a screwball and it has a great comedic cast like Owen Wilson Will Forte who's brilliant but not in this uh, Jennifer Aniston who does a very good comedic role when she's given good stuff to work with and Reese Ivins um, also makes a turnabout but like everybody's just playing a stereotype and it's quite offensive because Owen Wilson goes around sleeping with different women and then paying them oh here's $30,000 to do that kind of you know that old 
story of like women need saving and I'm going to do it because I'm a hero and blah 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 Bogdanovich wrote it as well which yeah um, and it, like it's 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 just not funny and that whole thing of so then it goes through the film like when he was given the talk in the IFI he said he was working on this film and, and it was going to be called Nuts to the Squirrels and there's this bullshit line that kind of runs through it where Owen Wilson peddles this line to all the women he sleeps with where he's just like oh you know you can do whatever you want like some people like to go to Central Park and feed Nice. Uh, nuts to the squirrels but then in somewhere else in Central Park people like to feed squirrels to the nuts so I say squirrels to the nuts or some shit like this and he says it about 10 times and it's supposed to be some cool kooky blah, blah, blah. but it's just really annoying and offensive it's not funny don't That's go and see it ignore one that we could see though that comes highly recommended by all is Slow West um, we take your clip lovely it sets it up nicely I'm Jay Cavendish Son of Lady Cavendish. We're all sons of bitches. Grave play, boy. Sir, lower your pistol. Hey. That set the clip up. That clip set this up nicely. We have, you could hear there, Jack Cavendish, um, who's the main character, played by Cody Smith McPhee, great name, uh, meeting Silas Selleck, who is Michael Fassbender, our very own German Irish. Amazing, good looking, great teeth, amazing smile. Uh, star. Is it an amazing smile? Or it's it a ginormous. Joy? It's all jaw kind of forms into the shape. I got terrified when he smiled at the end with the cigar. He kind of always looked like he's just dropped an E. Yeah. That's what I've been told people Is look like. Is he undershot as well? Or it kind of comes Possibly, out the jaw yeah. sticks out. Analyzing <laughs> shark, the sharky smile of uh, the fast bender. So, um, it's good to have him back on screen though. We haven't seen yep. him since it's a great man last year. Yeah, it? actually. Uh, 12 Years a Slave. No, when was that? I think X-Men came after that. Okay. Um, so it's a Western, we should point that out. Um, and the beautiful thing about it is it's 84 minutes, as we'll get on to later in our Watch with Spool. We watched Giant, which was four days long. So Slow West is 84 minutes and tells the story of Jack Cavendish, who is searching for Rose Ross, who's played by Karen Pistorius. No relation to Oscar, I don't think. We have another Game of Thrones She's lovely, reference She's in this. Great in it. Her father plays someone in Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of the Thrones. Hound. I'm one of the three people in Ireland who doesn't. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Hound is in it. So anyway, Jay is looking to find Rose because he um, has fallen in love with her, and she had to leave and go to America, even though the whole film is shot in New Zealand. Um, and I, then I wondered when I came out of it, I was like, did they actually refer to it being America at any point? But they do have the um, Southern uniform and stuff like that. And yeah, and I think because there's a bit in the middle where the Werner Herzog type character, the German guy he meets, mm-hmm. he refers to uh, Aboriginal people, and I was like, but I think Aboriginal is more so just a word for indigenous, almost a PC word, yeah, for, yeah. Um, for the for the Indians, if mm-hmm. you like. And, um, Native Americans. And well, it does no, have like an, the Aboriginal is the right word. It does have a lovely thing running through it about that, where it's just like 
they just came and the Americans just came and stole everything and killed all these people but you're like which most Westerns just brush over or absolutely yeah are incredibly no, it's, offensive it's too. very honest about the fact that they and I really like that that Ben Mendelsohn's character was was he Australian in it but certainly like the family that they and the kids that end up traveling with them then were Swedish he's yeah. Scottish there's other English people there the Irish as well are referred to I think yeah Fassbender's mother Yes, and so like it's very much a, there's no such thing as an like, an American as an, what is an American yeah you know so it's very open at showing how they just came and took what they wanted so um, yeah I I thoroughly in, enjoyed it um, turns well. a lot of things on its head the Rose Ross isn't just some shrinking violet of a character there's a brilliant um, end shootout scene and the film to me like I loved it it's directed sorry by um, John McLean who everybody knows now who's in the beta band it seems to be the calling card of the film that it was like oh you knew the director used to be in a band yeah um, that's offers some hope to all our aspiring former former musicians yeah they can you know put your mind yeah, to it and you I, can direct a film I wasn't sure about how it was um, directed at some points in it I actually think you can tell it was the first film because yeah. there's a few experimental things it's quite low like it's very low budget because it's all shot on like very simply done on like tripods and he shot it with as we were talking earlier the cinematographer Robbie Ryan is Irish and he went to Dunleary which is fun so he shot stuff for Ken Loach and Jimmy's Hall blah 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 and Philomena I think and, oh, but really? anyway and he's working on Andrea Arnold's new film American I thought Money. it looked lovely like I do get what you I mean think, like but, it's very so crisp my issue, yeah my issue was that it was shot digitally and looked a bit the way some of the lenses they sort of use like some stuff was in focus in the front and then in focus in the back and I hate when that happens because it catches turns my eye off and people used to do it as a bit of a a trick and you can see the blurry line in the middle but it looked like it was enhanced digitally like an Instagram sharpened kind of effect on it but they wanted to shoot it on film this is my trivia Um, they wanted to shoot on film but New Zealand doesn't have anywhere that would be able to develop it so it would have been really expensive and confusing they wouldn't have been able to watch rushes and dailies and stuff so they ended up shooting it digitally so I think I'm not sure how comfortable they were with that and that's why I think I'm not 100% sure about the visuals of it but then equally I was watching it and I was like this knocks my socks off how crisp it looks but it looked it looked different to me in the way the West was. So that's possible, obviously, because it was New Zealand. It's greener than we've come It looks beautiful, yeah. It looked very, very So nice. maybe it's just like a further north. And but maybe- it is kind of that Colorado on the book. He looks at, oh, uh, oh, to the West or something. Yeah. It's kind of more so concerning itself with Canada as well and the northern parts of America. Yeah, so this so. is, what do we call We don't call it the Midwest. Do we call it the Mid-East? That bit up there. Yeah. Kind of above the South. Um, north And what way are you going? I'm going north. Oh, I'm going south. Like yeah. a few nice slides like that. Um, but definitely a lot of the tone. There's some lovely side gags in it. Um, my favorite being salt in the wounds. I thought that was hilarious. And um, so there's kind of that humor of the Coen Brothers, I think. And then yeah, definitely the, the shoot. Death. Some of the framing of the shots is very much Wes Anderson. Like there's a scene at the end where a lot of people get shot, and he does one shot takes of the people who have died throughout the film. Oh, and I was like, yeah. that's a real Wes Anderson move. Yeah, but uh, really enjoyable. In a less eighty-four film. minutes, perfect. It's nice and solid. I don't think you, I could say I love it though. It's you couldn't give it five. I don't know, but it's the no, most yeah. four-star movie I've ever seen. Yeah. It was a little underdeveloped for me, just in terms of just backstory. We still don't really know where Fassbender, what, what his game was. Right. Yeah, but like I really enjoyed fine. it. It is didn't okay? kind of ed- evoke a real emotional response, which is always my yeah, tipping cool point for say. five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
uh, deadly. So I think we'll actually link in. This month we did, so I did, it was my turn for the picks for the Watch With Spool series, which um, we're contemplating splitting out into a separate podcast because we find it easier to watch older films now because we don't get to see as many new films. We still see enough new films, but uh, hoping to maybe split that out a little bit, make more of a fuss about it because more and more you realise that old films are better than new films sometimes. Or they inform certainly how we see it. So I had watched the next movie we we're going to talk about um, before seeing Slow West. And uh, so the movie is giant. Um, the concept around the two films that we looked at this month was final films. So giant is probably the most famous fam- final film in the world, I think, other than like Enter the Dragon or something for, for Bruce Lee. So giant was James What Dean's. about Gladiator? Oliver Reed because he wasn't in it that's actually a good point I did have a think um, he was CGI'd just like uh, Melhouse in that uh, episode of The Simpsons anyway (laughs) Um, so Giant anyway 1956 story it's a story about Texas I love films about Texas I've always said that very often my favourite films from the year we were talking the other night Ain't Them Body Saints movie about and I was like, why did I love that? And I was like, oh, yeah, because it was about Texas. Um, cold in July. kind of feels like we're in Texas at the moment. It's very warm. It's we're a in, lovely, uh, balmy July. We're in the Stony Batter studio today in an upstairs in the coop. Uh, thing. And it's good good sound. Insulation in this incredibly hot. We're pretty much in a hot press. We're also beside the hot press. I meant to add to that. Brilliant. I'm That's sitting literally on the why hot it's press. so hot. And the hot windows over there. So I might start growing some weed or something up here. Some tomatoes. Um, anyway, Giant is a story about Texas. Uh, It tells the story of ranch owner Bick Benedict, played by Rock Hudson, who travels north to buy a horse, but manages to pick up a wife. (laughs) Uh, uh, Leslie, played by Elizabeth Taylor, who became a tabloid figure by herself, and it's so nice to watch a film where she's just in it for being Elizabeth Taylor, and Mm. she's brilliant, and I thought. Uh, Bick is a real king of the castle down in Texas because he has this huge uh, farm... Oh, Lariada like is that what it's called can't remember feels oh, like yeah. it's half of Texas yeah it's, he says at the start it's like half a million acres or something ridiculous yeah. um, and then his older sister dies what's that his mother yeah. no no older sister older dies sister. and she when she dies she has a bit of say in the inheritance so leaves a bit of land to um, one of the farmhands the surly a uh, character named Jet Rink, played by James Dean. And that's fine, gets a little bit of land for himself. She wants to see him, you know, do the right thing. So he sets up a little bit of a plot and um, all to of To try to buy it off him and to be like, look, you don't want be. that bit of land, but he's yeah. not that dumb. He's like, no, I'm going to And then turns out it's on a big oil well. So this was in the 1920s when, you know, digging for oil had become the new panning for gold. Um, and that's where the real money was. Um, so Jet Rink uh, eventually becomes one of the wealthiest men in America. Um, and uh, then we travelled through the 20s, 30s, right up to post-war times when um, Leslie and Bix's kids grow up. Dennis Hopper is one of those. Um, it was brilliant seeing Dennis Hopper. Did it's, you know? Is this I, one of his, no, I yeah. didn't know that at all. And then he appeared. And I was like, yeah. first of all, Dennis Hopper is in this. And second of all, he was ginger. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. The hair and makeup in it could do it a bit of work. Like to see it now in like kind of. I thought the Elizabeth Taylor thing. stuff, because one of the novel things I was reading about they did was normally you'd get different actors, obviously, to play people as they get older. Different and they do that with yeah. the kids. But with this, they just 
Elizabeth Taylor looks amazing when she's younger but they just age her I thought they did that brilliantly but there's a scene that's terrible with Rock Hudson where he's shaving and it looks like his makeup is just falling off his face and you're like he's kind of missed that in post and James Dean kind of turns into um, James Joyce at some point but he's 24 years old yeah and he's playing like a character who's 60 so he looks ridiculously like Brad Pitt doesn't he? Yeah, it is weird watching it because he has such a reputation and it's nice to actually just go back and look at the work again. So the point of Watch What's Fool is that we find films that ridiculously we're ashamed that we haven't seen and we look to remedy that and we watch it. Um, so the, the, And it was James Dean's last film. I don't it was know. his last yeah. film, yeah. So he died a couple of months after in the car accident. Um, yeah, so Thoughts? the movie has a lot to say about America like in the way that Slow West says a lot about the people of America in 84 minutes this takes three hours and 17 minutes to tell its story um, and it's basically a story of intolerance and everything uh, George director George Stevens looks at the kind of pretty complex dynamic between these Texan cowboys who've just rocked in and planted their flag in the in the clay and said this is what we own and then the Mexicans hey Mexico, get out of here yeah and then the Mexicans who own them I don't know much about the, the history and the Alamo around that US-Mexican border but obviously contentious enough it still is they're putting up a wall do you know who's a massive um, Alamo aficionado and recently gave a load of memorabilia back to them in Texas who Phil Collins Phil <laughs> <laughs> heard it here first listeners um so anyway, this shows that weird changing of social attitudes and everything comes... Ten, the film itself... Well, the book was written in 1952, so it's about 10 years before, you know, the real civil rights battle came to a head in America. Um, and then this film was 1956, so... Yeah, there is a nice scene when um, Rock Hudson plays this uh, Benedict character. Bick. So he go, when he goes to buy... Did they make the pens? So he goes to buy the horse and... Um, Elizabeth Taylor kind of kicks up being like gosh you just stole uh, Texas off Mexico didn't you and the help mm-hmm. in the house kind of looks at her being like oh you know I love that scene where he's it's just very like, clever you like know this. there is lots of scenes kind of becomes a bit sickening towards the end like the very end there's that scene with the two kids one did you watch wide. it in one sitting yeah I did and one Whoa, okay I um, watched it in two so yeah I felt it would have felt like it. It obviously means, had to have an intermission. Yeah, at some point, I felt it would. If it was, if the story was being told now, it would be a six-part series on HBO, and mm-hmm. we'd, um, it would just work in that way, like a six forty-minute, forty-five-minute episodes or something, and that's how it would work because it's yeah. so long and complex. And it seemed like it was trying to be like a bit of a modern day Gone with the Wind. I didn't enjoy. That's it what it's called. Much. It's called the um, oh, okay. the Texas Gone with the Wind. Yeah, so. and it was just to like the stuff when it was trying to be preachy. And Dennis Hopper is big son, and he marries. He doesn't a, want the farm. No, and he marries a, a Mexican lady who's like a, a doctor or practicing nurse. And so there is interesting dynamics there. Like my favorite scene is when Dennis Hopper just loses it at Bick in a hotel room after a fight. Um, and I was like, that's brilliant because it's like proper acting. Like everything before that and like around it just seems like here's a set piece with big orchestral music. And I love the music. Uh, I don't know. Um, I just I have a clip just from very quickly to clo- close this off. This was because, like I say, Elizabeth Taylor for me was a big revelation in this because I really, really liked what she did. She just felt very natural, whereas everyone else acting to the nines, you know, yeah. like Rock Hudson, you know, really trying real hard here to be an actor. Um, but Elizabeth Taylor came across really natural. And, you know, her, this is her chatting to um, Jet, 
uh, just before he kind of in the kind of weeks almost before he strikes gold. Um, so it's a nice little thing to close out. Where'd you come to Texas? Well, I, I mean, uh, seems like everybody else trying to get away from me. Me, I'm going to get out of here one of these days. This is my husband's land. This is his home. Who gets hold of this much land else they took it off somebody else? You're not exactly loyal to your employer, are you, Jeff? No, sir, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. They bought this land long ago. Benedict's. They got it through purchase years ago. Bought it. They took it off a bunch of ignorant Mexicans. Why, that's not true, Jeff. They bought and traded for Spanish land grants. Paid for, all right. They paid five cents an acre. I know my folks was here in Texas long enough to get rich, too. Except they just weren't so foxy. And then that bit also includes the uh, gun on the shoulders, iconic image of uh, yeah. Jimmy Dean. Was he a good actor? I thought so, yeah. <laughs> I I dug it. Again, but, it's got the classic thing, if he hadn't died, what sort of, like, you know, he's three, trying. East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, and this are, are all held up and yeah. didn't make anything else, so. But, like, there are some, like, I, I know I'm kind of dying on the film, there's some amazing visual shots in it. At one point, we learn the main character has kind of died, he's been killed in um, World War Two. And they live so much in the middle of nowhere that the train stops and then it's 50 miles to their ranch. So they have to get like a car or go on horseback. So you learn, you think a character's coming home and I was like, right, well, he's dead. Like, that's a setup. So then, but there's this amazing scene where the train pulls up, pulls away yeah. and there's a coffin with the American flag draped over it and it, it looks amazing. So there are some beautiful shots in it like yeah. that. George Stevens also directed Shane which I remember watching at home all those years ago, but yeah. would need another uh, thing. Anyway, uh, he's one of those classic directors. So, uh, yeah. So that was Giant. And then the second film uh, Nigel picked was The Misfits, for the reason that um, it was Marilyn Monroe's last film. There and is, had, a run, had a run in the IFI here in Dublin yeah. and the BFI South Bank in the UK. So, so there was, uh, it made perfect sense. There's a bit of... It came out in 61. Uh, she died in 62. So I think there was another film that she acted in, but it never got released. Last so, completed, yeah. And it was also, I don't know if you were, I, I wasn't aware of it until I went looking up, but it was also Clark Gable's last film. That's he, right. Do you not read my preview pieces? No. About it? no it's a no. double whammy of Bozza. death. Yeah, and he died 10 days after it. And, and Montgomery Cliff died a couple of years, later. Couple of years after. Certainly before his time. Like, yeah. Jesus. This and yet this is offset everybody. by Eli Wallach, who was in it, who just died like this couple of last months ago? year at the age of like 150 yeah he, so was he just holiday. took all their years mm. and it's like I'm never Eli Wallach is the best thing in it I thought he was fantastic um, so this is kind of an odd film it's very I really liked it it took a while for me to get into it so I should probably start off by saying so it, it was directed by John Huston and it stars Marilyn Monroe Clark Gable Montgomery Clift and Eli Wallach those are kind of the four main characters now and the old woman I was really disappointed that she disappeared right. she's not in it that much and she's just kind of a setup for the you know she's a supporting so Arthur Miller wrote the screenplay for this he um, it was originally going to be a short story that he wrote while he was waiting on a divorce um, before he could marry Marilyn Monroe so it was turned into a film and you kind of get that feeling from when you're, when you're watching it because we just have these four central characters it's very deep there's a lot of underlying stuff going on that you know symbology and 
Symbology. Symbology. Symbols, might, one might even say. Symbolism. <laughs> Bollocksology, what? Um, symbolism and metaphors and everything because only about halfway through the film there's that moment where you're like well obviously you realise these people are all misfits like Marilyn Monroe um, is just coming out of divorce she always plays or like she always seems to go for an idiot now it looks like Clark Gable is going to be the next idiot and like he's kind of this ageing cowboy Eli Wallach um, plays Guido and his wife died that's a, like that, that that's scene when horrendous, that's yeah. horrendous when you realise how his wife died dark. you can tell a playwright yeah it, it's very it's dark not, you know um, and then Montgomery Clift is this young cowboy but he's also a kind of de- degenerate you know drug addict waster and he was heavily on drugs during the film of it <laughs> I oh, read man. that there was a doctor on set the whole time for Marlon Monroe <laughs> and Montgomery Cliff and filming had to be shut down for two weeks while Monroe was in rehab for yeah. um, Burbage there's a addiction. documentary on YouTube 45 minutes about the making of it um, which I only got to start watching it but there's there's a lot written about how <laughs> challenging it was. Yeah. I think, and, it, and it seemed basically to be the dissolution of her and Arthur Miller's marriage. Um, because, and she was really paranoid about the whole thing because Eli Wallach was stealing the show kind of with his things. And she felt that Arthur Miller had basically, this is how, Set he, her up. how he saw her. And like she comes across kind of annoying in the film. She does that kind of real breathy kind of like... <sighs> Yeah, and it's that's a bit that's annoying. Does, but it's not. It's only until about halfway through the film, then you realise what the guys do in that they round up horses called misfits and sell them to a guy for basically glue and dog food. Horse meat scandal. Yeah, that's that's and, my uh, tagline if I ever had to review it. Horse meat scandal. Marlon Monroe is horrified because she's the real soul of it, and you know, gets into this whole metaphor was just like well we're just getting these and processing them and they're all misfits in their own right and yeah I really liked it it takes a while to get into but um, I can see kind of why it's regarded I found it a bit hard to buy you know the way early on they just kind of meet and then like we just kind of boo 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 and then they're gonna let's go live here and boo 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 so the progression I know if this was in a play the way I kind of saw that was that maybe as more of a, a playwright you could see it that this was an act and then you know you'd dip then it'd come back and you'd feel that it was a bit longer in time but I felt it did. They didn't do enough to make it feel like there was gaps of time. Like what from beginning to end of this film? What do you think? How long do you think that was? A month. Oh yeah. Okay. I wondered because at first, when I first Possibly, saw it, yeah. I was like, "Is this a week or something?" Like yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't concentrated enough. But um, that was. But that simply. But like I say, because it's so dark, you can just see that it was like a guy with a nice kind of yeah. <laughs> thing i'd never read into the thing though that you know he had kind of hang marilyn out to dry i found it really hard to watch the bit where she was like kind of drunk and out of control in the cabin at first yeah that's so, very obviously she yeah and you're wondering where is this going but thankfully that doesn't happen yeah in it oh jesus yeah, yeah. well it would have been very challenging if she actually then sort of died on screen do you know yeah um, do, you, do you have any trivia about this? Let me see. Um, Just that everyone died, basically. Yeah, and it looks really, really hot. <laughs> yeah. Like, as hot as here. Yeah. Um, and Clark Gable, like, so he was the one who, this is the story. Gone with the Wind, he, connection. Oh, yeah. This is, <laughs> <laughs> any of these people in Game of Thrones? No. no. Um, Clark Gable apparently wrapped filming and then two days later, heart attack, apparently. And ten was days so or something. Ten days, yeah. two days, I know. But he had this quote of being like, God, that nearly killed me working with Marlon Monroe. 
And yeah. it did. Yeah, literally. But he, I think, is good. It's nice to see a challenging thing. Like, his bit at the end where he kind of comes clean after that issue with the horses is pretty cool. So, um, although it was quite obvious that he wasn't actually within 100 miles of a horse, you know, where he, there'd be a double. And then you'd see Clark Gable turn around and go, oh. So yeah. we'd have face uh, replacement technology going on there. Um, anyway, uh, that's it. We I guess we'll quickly do a quick shout to the Galway Film Flat, which is on the way. Um, we're going to travel over just so we'll yeah, get a few films at the weekend. We'll call this our July segment, sure, won't we? Sure, I guess so, because we'll, we're now in July. Yeah, so. We'll have reviews of The Misfits and Giant, and then we will preview our next month. It's going to be about women. Uh, we, women. Women, sorry. Women. Directors. Uh, yeah, so the we'll do a few picks from the, the Galway Film Flat, 27th year, lots of new Irish cinema. No one really, there's not much recognisable stuff in the catalog because they're all about the brand new stuff that you no one knows what it is yet and we're you know last year i was lucky enough to see the likes of glassland patrick's day one million dubliners um but then there's a lot of crap there as well because it just doesn't get anywhere you know this is the first time most people are seeing it so yeah that's a new irish cinema anyway um the one pick i have is uh traders uh from directors rachel moriarty and peter murphy i just like there's a man and woman directing together and uh, married don't know um and killian scott is in this and uh one of the producers i think from one million dubliners do you know killian mistaken. scott's real name is killian murphy and he changed his name to his middle name because there was obviously a, a big other person called killian murphy oh anyway the little blurb dark exciting tr- thriller about recession hit ireland and the extreme brutal lengths people will go to hang on to wealth and status wonderfully vague um Good serious Irish drama. from a tagline. What? Yeah. What's well, good serious Irish drama. Don't want to know much about it, and hope to see that on the uh, on the Saturday. So, I've got two quickly. Just Swan Song. It's going to play on Saturday, the eleventh of July, and it stars uh, Spool Favorite uh, Antonia Campbell Hughes. Can you say Spool Favorite when I haven't seen anything she's in and you just saw it? Have you not? I don't think so. Have I? Victor and Kelly and Victor. That's only the f- yeah, and there's the other one that I really liked and the canal, and I haven't seen either. I think she's cool and just, just has yeah. happened, you know. So she's your favorite. Cool. It's all right to come out with that, like you know, declare it to the world. I'm saying spool with two O's there. You're the other two O's, so it's like spool. All right. Oh. So this is described as a dark comedic thriller about love, loss, and fame. Brilliant. And then shout out to the North, a film called I Am Belfast which uh, was directed by Mark Cousins who I'm a big fan of I don't want to say we're a big fan of you know I actually am because I watched his documentary The Story of Children okay um, which is a small thing he did which just showed it was like an essay film about kids in movies nice and simple found it online wonderful to watch so, he actually wrote a thing in Sight and Sound who then so he writes a column in Sight and Sound magazine saying you know the way you can get such a film education on YouTube now and you can find all the clips you want and everything and then there was a letter from the BFI in it the next month saying, don't print this kind of thing. You know, we need people to be paying to go to the cinema and buy everything. I kind of enjoyed it because obviously they're all in, in the same club and you would think that one would be fueling the other. But yeah, I anyway, a good laugh. So, that so he's be, a film called I Am Belfast, which is on. Is it the like one of the these essay documentaries, I think it's just about Belfast. Is that where we're? Yeah, it tells the story of Belfast as embodied by a 10,000 year old woman. And it stars uh, Helena uh, Biren as I am Belfast so yeah that's playing on Sunday sure we'll see it in Galway um, so I suppose our movie moment of the month from the year what was yours from the month of June from the year holy yeah. moly it would have been Mad Max <laughs> if you're put on the spot you're like because we're at the halfway point of the year yeah 
Anyway, not sure of what. Uh, I think it could be a year for cartoons. Like Song of the Sea is going to be my pick for July. It's coming out this month, and everybody is raving about Inside Out, which is and actually... Inside Out is my pick. So the two. Uh... And uh, to finish off, oh, we obviously do our seen it, and it was forty years this year uh, since it came out. It's a nice summer's day. Reminds you somewhere. Jaws. Here's the scene, the famous Indianapolis uh, scene. Enjoy. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. Just delivered the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb. Eleven hundred men went into the water. The vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. What we didn't know was our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he starts pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water. It was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. O'Berry, Lockheed Ventura saw us. He swung in low and he saw us to the young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and he come in low and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out, the sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, 
We deliver the bomb.